This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for the cheer, whoever went, woo, Lamentations. <laughs> Particularly Lamentations 4. Hey, I, I want to tell you that in a couple of weeks, it's Easter. Easter comes early this year, uh, March 31st, and we're going to have a baptism service on March 31st in both the first service and the second service. And if you're here and you've never been baptized before, I want to encourage you. Now is your time. This is a sign. If you were waiting for a sign, here it is. It's me doing weird moves. Uh, but maybe, maybe you're here. Listen, maybe you've served God for a long time. And I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had grown up together in the same church. And, you know, around teenagehood, a lot of us said, yeah, I'm going to get baptized. And you know, he just was like different. So he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going with you guys. I'm going to do this myself. And you know, now he's seen the backside of 50 and realized, oh, oh, that time never came. But then it was like a little bit embarrassing because he was like, I, I've been in church all my life. I'm not getting baptized. And um, he said to me, just the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, are you going to obey me or not? And so he got baptized. So I'm telling you, I know that there are some of you here who have been in church all your life. And this isn't a new decision you made. This is a decision you've been trying to walk out for a long time, and you've never been baptized. It's a sign. Now's your time. Uh, get, get baptized. Because this is what Jesus has called us to do. He asked us to do that, to go to symbolize that we're dead to our old life, that we're new again. And um, it's going to be a really amazing Easter Sunday. So mark it in your calendars. And, and those of you that have made a decision for Jesus in the last little bit, oh, don't wait. Don't wait. Get baptized now. And, you know, your testimony is a great encouragement to the people that are sitting in these maroon-colored chairs every week. What God is doing in your life. And I, I know when it's your own life, you're aware of your own foibles. You're aware of, like, God's still got a lot of work to do. Yep, he does in all of us. But what he's done in you is important for other people to hear. So uh, you can go on our website and sign up for the first service or the second service. <sighs> well, we're in Lamentations 4, everyone. Um, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we did Lamentations 1, 2, and 3. And I told you that last week, Lamentations 3, most cheerful part of the whole book. So I'm sorry if this is your first week. Um, during this series, we're looking intentionally at what it means for us to lament. To lament, the word Lamentations means to cry. It actually means to cry like forcefully. Ugly crying is what this book could be called. And... Um, question we're asking is, why would God put this in the Bible? Like, why is this there? Why are there five chapters that are carefully coordinated and put there? The truth is, uh, when pain and suffering are absent from our theology, we cheat ourselves of deep spiritual formation. When all we have is rainbows and pixie dust, um, and this is not true to anybody's life anyways, <laughs> Right? If you have ever met somebody who's had a charmed life all their life, you wonder if they're human, correct? And, and there's a little bit, like when you meet somebody like that, I mean, we're not going to lie this morning because we're in church. And um, when you meet someone like that, you think, yeah, must be nice being you. Uh, but this, um, this kind of idea has taken kind of theological root in some of our, some of our hearts. We actually think that um, things are supposed to get better and better and better. And this is, I mean... This affects us in so many ways. Like, you know, I, if you've been here before, you know that I complain about the rising costs of all things, particularly grapes. I don't know why grapes are the thing that I worry about the most, but 
like is mostly I betray myself because like what I think should happen is that things could, should get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because I think things are supposed to get better. And in the last number of years, we've had a whole bunch, particularly young people, deconstruct and say, I don't know if Christianity is for me. I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if I can trust it. And mostly, I think it's because we haven't taught a theology of suffering at all. We've told people, we've, we've told young people a lie, that you're going to serve Jesus and everything is going to be easy and you'll never cry again. And Lamentations 4 teaches us that that is not true. Um, because when we live like that, it creates entitlement in us. Like we are entitled to a charmed life. It creates bewilderment when things go wrong. Like, what have I done wrong? What has gone wrong here? It's created this triumphalism that is not biblical, but it's rooted in humanism. And it's led to deconstruction. You see, if we're going to be people that follow Jesus... Uh, we have to be people that follow all of Jesus. We have to follow Jesus from Isaiah 53, verse 3, that says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like, what's funny about this is I was thinking, like, we all want to follow Jesus, but do, what, I'm not sure about this, this per, not this Jesus. I want to follow the water into wine, Jesus. That's the Jesus I want to follow. I want to follow the Jesus that like walks on water and does very cool things and everybody is astounded. Isaiah 53, I, maybe not that, maybe not that Jesus. Just if I could have a little bit. So what we're actually saying is that we just want a little bit of Jesus. And the Bible doesn't let us do that. To be followers of Jesus means to be followers of all of who he is. So last week, uh, if you were here, we talked about how Lamentations 3 is an apogatura. And that is like a change in, it happens, it causes us to feel emotion. God is a God of emotion, and that's an amazing thing, uh, particularly on a Monday when you're not feeling very happy in your emotions. Uh, but Lamentations 3 was this, it's an amazing chapter, and many of us have heard some of the scriptures in here. I want to read Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 23, just to remind you, in case you were not here. It says this, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Um, and so, if I am writing Lamentations, this is the end. Because don't you love a great rom-com? Yes? If, the, if I am writing Lamentations, Lamentations 3, verse 21, that's the end. It's like the story where... The girl is at the beginning mad and she wears stilettos and she works 90 hours a week and no one can talk. You know, you know the tale, you know, we've, we've seen it a million times. And then she walks around like this, but then she ends up somewhere in the wilderness and there's a man who really is lovely and he decorates for HGTV. They don't tell you that, but you know, because he lives in a cabin in the woods and he tries to get her, and she said, no, I'm not having it. And then, you know, she gets on a plane, and he runs after the plane, and the airplane pilot descends the plane, and they cry, and they laugh, and they love, and everyone leaves happy. Yes? Someone who is a movie... I tried to, in the first, the, the first service, tell someone, if you're a movie maker here, please make more movies like that. These are the kind of movies we like. And if I'm writing Lamentations, this is the end of the book. The Lord is my portion. 
His mercies are new every morning because his compassions are so great. And it all ends with violins and cheering. And yet this is not the way of lamentations. In fact, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, it's the opposite. So we have Lamentations 1, hard. Lamentations 2, extremely hard, like so hard. Lamentations 3, hopeful. Hopeful, so helpful. Lamentations 4, extremely hard. Like maybe the worst. Like we're going we're gonna to put some scriptures up on the screen today that are going to make you say, I've never seen that scripture up on a screen before. It's going to be amazing. Part of it though, I, I, I'm telling you this to say, um, this is kind of how life works though for us, isn't it? Like things, don't you just have everything tied up in a bow? You got all your kids doing the right things. Everybody's doing the right, all the trains are on the tracks for one minute. And then somebody is off the track wrecking it again. Do you know what I'm saying? You get all your ducks in a row and then one of those ducks decides to like, I don't not be in the row anymore. It decides to take a break or a holiday or pass out or something. And all your ducks are not in a row anymore. This is Lamentations 4. Now listen, the, the, the structure of scripture is as important as what the scripture says. The structure is really important. And Lamentations is a book for whom the, the structure really matters. There's something God's saying to us in the structure. If it was me writing Lamentations, we would say it all ends with a happy bow. But God knows better than that. He knows that there are moments in our lives where there's great triumph. And it's amazing. You're going to have points in your life where you think things could get no better. And then you're going to go directly into Lamentations 4. And if you are not careful, what you will say is God was not real. He was not with me in Lamentations 3. It was not true. And this is why we have to study the scripture, because we recognize that just as, was, as God was with the people of Israel in Lamentations 1, 2, and 3, so he was with the people in Lamentations 4. And you might be in a Lamentations 4 kind of moment right now, where it seems like, like everything was good a few minutes ago. I could feel God's presence, and now I no longer can. Hmm. This is the long tail of God's faithfulness. This is how he teaches us his faithfulness. I was thinking about... Um, how I would talk about Lamentations for today. This seemed like a great idea in the summertime to teach about Lamentations. And I thought, well, I'll get through Lamentations 2. And I had written way in advance the sermons for Lamentations 1, 2, 3. But I thought, I'll just wait to see what the Holy Spirit's doing when we get to... Never, you know, that's a good sign that you're just... Anyways... So I come to Lamentations 4 a few weeks ago, and I thought, what am I going to say this week? It's kind of the same as Lamentations 2. Everything's so hard and sad. And um, I, I am not a person who loves sorrow. Uh, I, I admitted to the first crowd a few minutes ago that last week, if you were here, these microphones are wonderful, but when you get an ugly cry coming from the depths of your soul, you heard this last week, and some of you were very nervous because I did that weird, you know when you do that weird sound? And it's so awful because you, you know that all the stuffing that you've done for many years is about to come out in front of 500 people. Praise God. And I thought to myself, I certainly cannot do that two weeks in a row. No one will come back, Lord. Uh, you know, um, God's word always speaks to us uh, when we need it to speak to us directly. It really does. And I read Lamentations 4 probably 35 times. And all of a sudden, 
I saw what the Lord was saying in this chapter. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't happen to me every week, but it certainly happened to me this week. And I called Dave and I said, I've never been more excited to preach Lamentations 4 in my whole life. I've never preached it before in my life, but um, the sentiment was the same. And I realized that what happens to us when we have had Lamentations 1, Lamentations 2, Lamentations 3, everything goes well, and then we have a Lamentations 4 kind of minute, do you know what we try to do? Fix it. Try to fix it. I know they say that, like, uh, so often psychology will sometimes say that women don't fix and men fix, and women just talk about it till four in the morning. I don't know if that's particularly true. My psychologist husband can, can debate this with me on the way home. I actually think as humans, we just are natural wanting to fix things. We want, we want to fix things. Nobody gets to brokenness in their lives and goes, you know what, I guess I'm just broken. Uh, because that, that actually is dysfunction when we're like that. That's called when you're in depression, that's how it is, right? But when we are healthy and things feel broken, what we say to ourselves is, how do I get to fixing this? What do I need to do? And Lamentations 4 is a lament about all the things that cannot help us, that will not fix us. And it really, it really goes through the whole gamut, and we're going to look at this just now. All the things that cannot fix Do you know... <sighs> Most of our lives are spent trying to fix things that we could never fix anyways. And the scripture is always calling us back to this idea that God is the only one who can fix our lives. And if we live chasing the things that will fix us, we will always live with idols in our lives. And this will cause us to live below what God wants for us. Okay, so let's look at this. Lamentations chapter 4. Uh, Lamentations 4 starts off again with an exclamation mark. It's the only book in the whole Bible that starts off with exclamation points. But it actually reminds us that how, how deep our lament often is. It says this, how the gold has lost its glitter. How, how the, no, sorry. How the gold has lost its luster. The fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. The first thing that will never save us, and I think it's a great thing that lamentation starts off this way materialism and stuff will never save us never never now I know this is real easy to say of course none of us would say you know what the thing that I think is going to save me is money (laughs) none of us admit that but we all live like that don't we particularly in this culture Uh, it's interesting that this is what the poet goes after right away all the things that we thought we're going to give us security and safety meant nothing to the people of Israel historically. Didn't like if you're if you're living in the city and now it has taken siege, it's been taken siege. You know what doesn't matter? How much money you have. Nobody cares. We're all dying in this city anyways. You know what doesn't matter when you're in war and you're living in a mansion? Who cares? We're all in bunkers together. Materialism never will, um, never will save us. What's hard about this as North American Christians is that we can say that out of our mouth and live a totally different lifestyle. Like materialism will never save me. Also, I'm very stressed right now and have not slept for three weeks because interest rates are rising. 
I told you about when uh, we got a minivan. I was very, very excited. It's the only new car we ever bought, and I was, I had come into adulthood. I had bought a Dodge Caravan. It was blue and beautiful and smelled new. What I did not tell you is that the very first day we bought said vehicle, and it smelled like new car, and it was so, so exciting. Do you remember this day? Yeah, it was. We, we had gone from a Honda Civic, a 1999 Honda Civic that had almost a million miles on it, to now, it had, it had over 500,000, not a million. Probably could have gone for a million. But, okay, so we get this new minivan, and I am feeling like I am t- on top of the world. I finally come into, like, true living. This is living now. Um, okay, I know many of you are mocking me right now. But we decided we are going to celebrate with a feast of Indian food. You know where this is going. (laughs) My favorite food in the world. I'm so excited for tonight. I I am so excited for tonight. Everybody better come with their best food game tonight. I'm not going to leave disappointed. Anyways, okay. So we buy said Indian food. And Dave and I do the cardinal sin. We put it in the trunk. Why did we put it in the trunk? I do not know. We were young in the Lord and in all things. And as we were driving to the jam, well, we had a really good in-car stereo. You know, in the 90s, you'd, you'd put the front of the stereo on, then you'd take it out in case somebody were going to steal it. <laughs> Woo! Those were good days, good days. Anyways, we're jamming in the stereo. I've got the lap of CDs on my lap, 400 CDs that we could pump through, sticking the CDs in, and we turn a corner on the 401 in Toronto, which is, I mean, if you've never been on it, never aspire to go on it. There's nothing good about that highway. And the um, butter chicken, the chicken korma, the doll, the curry goat, all topple sideways into my brand new van. All that shines has lost its luster for the rest of the years that we owned said van. Every time I would open the trunk, I would smell and see a reminder of how things can go dastardly wrong, terribly wrong. See, this is how it is with stuff. It doesn't matter what the stuff is that you have. And this is why God asks us to give. He doesn't ask us to give because the church needs money or because God's kind of broke and needs a loan and like, the people can't, he can't get to the people. No, he asks us to give so that money won't have a hold on us. The only way you will break the grip of materialism on you is by giving. It's the only way. When people say, oh, like, I, I can break it in another way. No, you can't. Can't. Money will always have a grip on you. It is God's way of helping, to, helping us to not let that grip us. You know, just about every week, Dave and I have a meeting about our finances on Fridays because we have four kids and sometimes they take our bank cards. It's important for us to know what's happening. And just about every week, I say, Dave, I don't think we have enough money to give. And every week, Dave says to us, we don't have enough money not to give because we have to continually break greed. I have to continually break greed's grip on me. It's a principality and power over North America. I'm going to tell you the thing that you're fighting is not, most of us don't have to fight a spirit of murder. Most of us are not going out there going, wow, I hope today I don't walk down uh, my street and murder my neighbor. If you are, we can pray for you after the service. (laughs) You might have a hard neighbor that you need prayer for. But most of us, that's not what we're dealing with. Most of us, the spirit that has gripped us is the spirit of greed, of more and more and more, and we need more and more. 
first thing in Lamentations chapter 4. The gold has lost its luster. Everything is hard. The, sec- the second thing that it gets to is um, this. We're, we're never going to be enough. Uh, so from verse 2 all the, verse, all the way to verse 7, it talks about this. Let me read verse 2. It says, How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hand. Uh, by the way, we read this and we think, Oh, we are like pots in a potter's hand. How, we're, like, we're like things at a, a Christmas craft fair. Okay, when the first readers read this scripture, they did not think that. To be called a pot from a potter's hand was like someone saying, you're not that much. And they would have read it and gone, what? I thought I was like onyx or gold or something. No, 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 no. This part of the scripture is reminding the people of Israel. You thought you had the world by the tail. And what God is reminding us is no, in fact, without him, without the potter, we're nothing. Now this smacks in the face of a um, you are strong movement, a billion dollar industry. We're good enough, smart enough, and God, God loves us. And like we, we, some of us have lived by these affirmations, right? We're going to tell ourselves these affirmations and we're going to be stronger. But the problem is you live with yourself. It doesn't matter how many affirmations I do. I still, I know me, Right? This idea that we will be enough to save us in the middle of our hardship is never going to work. This is why we need God. This is why, in fact, we say yes to Jesus because we're not enough. My friends will say to me all the time, well, like, I don't, I don't understand why you need religion. Why do you need God? Because I know me. That's why I need God, because I know I'm not enough. And until we come to the end of ourselves, we'll, we'll never actually get things right. Um, This is one of my favorite verses here in verse 7. It says, the princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Hmm, Praise the Lord. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies. I bet none of you have this as a life verse. Their appearance like lapis lazuli. Did I say it right? No. Lapis lazuli? Lazuli. Okay, sorry. I practiced that and I got it wrong. Lapis lazuli. It's just like beautiful, um, uh, this beautiful rock. What's interesting about this is that it's coming right after our idol worship of people. So just like today, we have, you know, we have celebrities that we think are beautiful and, wow, that person, if I could just kind of be like that person, if I could do my makeup like that person, if I could look like that person, that would be enough. Lamentations 4 tells us, no, no, the people you come after, they're they're never going to be enough, even if they have bodies like ruddy as rubies. What does that even mean? I I just want you to think about it for a minute. This is how, by by the way, when you're reading the scripture, you should not just read it and go, yes, yes, praise the Lord. Their bodies were ruddy as rubies. Yes. We should read it and say, ah, what is that talking? It's getting right under idol worship. Like, listen, when you scroll on TikTok, you know, every other person is like somebody that we're supposed to go, oh, that person's so beautiful. They have a billion dollars in their bank account. And I have a billion pennies, not even. Hmm. It's pushing into our need for celebrity. This idea that, like, we're hooked on celebrity. I hear people say this all the time. Oh, like, in the 21st century, people are, like, obsessed with celebrities. Yeah, we've been obsessed with celebrities since the beginning of time. And what Lamentations 4 is telling us is that they'll never save you. That will never save you. The third thing we uh, find is this, family cannot save us. 
Okay, so we're going to put a scripture up on the scripture. It says this, with their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. Okay, I'll just tell you something funny. In the first service, when I put this scripture up, people's faces were like, like somebody in, in this section was actually doing this. <laughs> and I really, in that moment, you, you guys have done better. You've laughed a little bit, nervous laughter. Um, what I'm sure about, when I read this scripture, I was like, I said to Harmon, oh, in Lamentations 2, they talk about women cooking their children as well in Lamentations 2. And I said to Harmon a couple of weeks ago, well, Harmon, it's going to be an eventful day. We're going to talk about mothers cooking their children. And I really, listen, I chickened out when I did Lamentations 2. We didn't talk about it too much. But the Lord was kind and gracious to me and brought it back again in Lamentations 4. So here we are. What is the scripture writer talking about here? What is the point of this? Why, why would one put this into scripture and call it canon? By the way, this is why you can't play that Russian roulette game where you like open a scripture and then point at one and say, this is the will of God for me. It is not. You have to read things in context. What the scripture is getting under, what this scripture is getting under, that a, even a mother's love will never be enough to save you. And, and why this smacks us is so disruptive is because particularly in the church in this day, we have idolized the nuclear family. We've said things like what you should love most of all is your family and your kids. And then we've made a little aside. Oh, yeah, yeah, but maybe God too. We've apologized for stuff like this. But this scripture teaches us that, listen, a mother, even a mother's love is not as big as God's love. It's not as big as God's love. It's not, it's not going to save. Your family is not going to save you. Some of you are not married here, and you just think, I, I will serve God with all my heart once I get a family. Even getting a family will not save you. We've done a disservice in the church telling people that you become a real Christian when you get a family. This is not true. There are single people amongst us who should be esteemed in the Lord, who we should say that they're not, they're not waiting for God to send them somebody. Or some of you got married, and you, you, for whatever reason, you don't have kids, you can't have kids, all the reasons. We're not waiting for you to have kids to be esteemed in the Lord. And in fact, the Lord can use people in, in ways that he cannot use those of us that are chasing little munchkins around for many, many years. What I am not saying is that we denigrate things, that we denigrate our bodies or ourselves, or that we denigrate our families. What I am saying is that we must be very clear about what the order we put things in of importance. Because when you get the order of importance wrong, it is like when you learned how to do bed mass. I'm bringing back nightmares for some of you right now. I have to use my math education somehow. When you, you know, you learn to do brackets, exponents, division, multiplication, addition, hello, subtraction, bed mass. If you got the order wrong in the seventh grade, some of you are feeling it right now. If you got the order wrong, you got the question wrong. There's no two ways about it. This is what Lamentations 4 is talking to us about. The order of importance. The operation, operation, uh, the, the, uh, the way we operate. Family cannot save us. 
Fourth thing we find here is that leaders will let us down. Lamentations 4 verse 13 says, but it happened, but all of this happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who she, who she within her, the blood of the, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. So Lamentations 4 13 puts the blame squarely on leaders. What was happening historically in Israel at the time is that leaders were saying, nah, to all the people, you're not that bad. You're pretty good. God loves you. Keep going about having other gods. Keep going about doing the things you're, don't worry about it. It's okay. And they weren't actually saying the word of the Lord to the people. They were giving them what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. The problem was the people of Israel were listening to leaders more than they were listening to God's voice. And the same thing happens today. We get to following somebody we like online and we follow them more than we follow what God has said. We listen to, I mean, I, I'll listen to good preaching all the days till I die. But if I'm listening to preaching more than I'm listening to God's word, we've got problems. Leaders will always let you down. The truth is like even here, we will let you down. And I know because I've made some of you mad before. I've let you down. I've missed things. I've forgotten things. <sighs> this is a really hard thing for us as humans to learn because we, we do want to be led by people. We must be led by people. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And this actually has to be the way of leaders. Leaders are called to a higher standard. But as people who follow people, we, listen, we all got to be people who are following people. If you can't follow someone, that means that you, you're lacking in humility. But when we're following somebody, we're, we're actually saying, Jesus, my eyes are fixed on you. So I'm not going to lose the plot if somebody who's a leader makes a giant mistake and lets us all down. Now, we don't live to have that happen. I say to the pastors, the young pastors, the older pastors who are working amongst us, that it is our job to lead with integrity and to lead with honesty. But what's really hard is that as people, we're just like prone to follow people. That's what we're prone to do. Can we just say that here at Journey Church, we're going to follow Jesus first. We're going to follow Jesus first. He is our guide. He is the one that's leading us. He's the one that's showing us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. This is why we keep our, this is why you're never going to hear me get up here and just tell you things I think. We're always going to keep it anchored in scripture because scripture is actually what's going to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Okay, so then we see number five in Lamentations 4. Rules and rituals will never be enough to bring us peace. So verse 15 says, go away, you are unclean, people cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say they can stay here no longer. Okay, so what's happening here is everything's going wrong, and the people of Israel go, okay, we haven't figured out. We figured out how we're going to fix this. We're going to follow the rules. Everybody back to Leviticus. This is where they do a long study, a long series in the book of Leviticus, and all 673 rules they're now following. And this is often what we do when we get into trouble. We want to follow all the rules. We want to do all the things. We want to be like rule followers because we think that that will save us. <laughs> what the book of Lamentations tells us is that rules following will never save you. I mean, to be clear, God has a standard of holiness he calls us to. 
But that, that standard of holiness must come out of relationship with God, our walk with God, because we love him. Listen, I, I'm doing the things that he's asked me to do, not because he's asked me to do them, but because he loves me and I love him. You see how that changes? When we get into rule following and ritualistic, going through the motions, that creates deadness and boring, and we become bored. If you are a person that likes order, this is probably an area that you're going to have to watch in your life. Like those of us that are addicted to order, we like things a certain way. And we feel like we'll get ourselves out of problems if we follow a certain way. If you're a person that likes pomp and ceremony, like you love, like, I'm just going to say this. Maybe if you're like the, you, you watched all the royal weddings because you love the pomp and ceremony, this could be an area that if you, you'll let this, I'm not saying that you're doing this if you watch the royal wedding. So just, I'm just saying as a, if we are the kind of people that want things a certain way, we'll sometimes sacrifice that for God himself for the ways of God instead of God himself. Rules and rituals will never save us. Finally, I even saw this one in Lamentation 6, politics will never save us. I mean, I don't know who of us thought politics would save us, but somebody in Lamentations 4 did. Look, moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help from our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. In the last number of years, Christians got kind of funny like this, thinking that it was politics that would save us. And it was understandable. We, we were in a hard spot politically. It was hard. It felt like we couldn't make the right decisions no matter what. But I, I think some of us leaned towards this. We thought, well, if the right laws are instituted or we don't have laws about this or if politicians would just give us our freedom, then we would be saved. Then people would come to the Lord. But the thing that's true is that you can never, you can never um, legislate people's hearts. You can never legislate that. And I mean, this is not to say that if you're in politics that you are, you are evil. It's not at all. If you're in politics, you're doing good in God's world. Just like... Money is not evil in and of itself. It's the order of operations. What, what are you going to put as the most important thing? See, what we find is that God is the only one who can bring us justice and save us. Theologians tell us that Lamentations 4 verse 22 is the most hopeful verse in the entire book. And this is what it says. Your punishment will end, daughter of Zion. He will not prolong your exile. Such a beautiful um, verse. It's beautiful because of this. All of us will go through seasons of hardship where everything feels hard and it feels dark and you might have moments of lamentation three, but it feels like heavy. And what God reminds us is that no season lasts forever. We know that the book of Revelation tells us that he will wipe every tear from our eye. And there will be hope. But what we recognize from this chapter is that all the ways we try to save ourselves will never be enough. Not politics, not family, not your job, not your friends, not the rules and regulations that you try so hard to follow. None of these things will be enough to save us. Only God himself will be. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? I, um, I began looking at this list this week and I began asking the Lord to ask me, where are the areas where I am most prone 
to try to idolize things. I can idolize them doesn't mean that like um, you make a little statue of them, but where I get the order of operations wrong. Is it with money and materialism? Is it with self, family, leaders, rules and rituals, politics, and I put other there because we're humans and we can think of anything to idolize. What's hard about this is that um, we all have to deal with these, this list of things, the things you have to deal with. You can't opt out. You can't say, okay, fine. I struggle with politics. I'm opting out of the world. Uh, or I'm going to sell my family on Kijiji. This is not, this is not possible. How do we address this in our lives? You know, um, Tim Keller, great thinker and theologian, said that this is the job of every Christian's life, to figure out what you're idolizing. This is, this is actually like our number one life work, to figure out where we put things above the Lord. And the reason we have to do that is not because like, it's not because God is up in heaven going, get it right or get out. He's not like so cranky up there saying, if you, if you even think you're going to like your nine-month-old baby more than me, we're not having it. This is not God's way. This is sometimes how I think we think about it. But in fact, God knows that if we'll put him first, everything else in our life will work better. And this is what comes down to trust. You know, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But you know what we do with that verse? We go, okay, so I'll seek you maybe fourth and maybe all the things underneath it can go, okay? And it really is an issue of trust, right? Because what I'm saying is, God, I don't really trust you with like all of my life. I trust you with some of it. But the parts I can't really figure out or the parts I'm nervous about, by the way, by the way, you'll usually idolize things where you have had pain. So if you grew up in poverty, often you don't become materialistic because you're just like greedy. It's out of safety and security. You, you want to be safe and secure and you're not really sure. If you grew up poor, you think like, God, where were you when I was eight? So like, I don't know if I can really trust you with that. If you grew up with a broken family, you'll often idolize your family. Because you think like, I don't know where you were, God, when like my parents were getting a divorce and I was all by myself. And so I'm going to just like, I'll take that part on. It usually is the point of our pain. So again, we're going back to lamentations. We have to find the places of our pain, not stuff the places of our pain, but really look at where the places of our pain are to actually identify where we are idolizing things. So again, let's look back at this list. Money, self. By the way, if you grew up with bad self-esteem, somebody always told you you weren't good enough, oftentimes you're going to deal with like, you get to be a man or a, a grown-up woman and you think, no, I am good enough. It's a reaction and we, we, we can't give that to God. Family, leaders, rules, ritual, where's the pain in your life? Stuffing pain never, never helps us. Here are some of the symptoms of idolatry. You're crushed when you don't get what you want. You stake your happiness on getting what you want. You grumble and complain when you don't have what you want. And you demand what you want. 
And these are usually good symptoms. Like where's the part of your life that your chest tightens up? If someone were to take that from you or to tell you you could never have that, your chest tightens and you think, no, I am entitled to that. I need that. This is where we've had an idol in our life. What's weird is that when you give a sermon about idolatry, no one's like, yes, praise God. (laughs) I'm really excited about like really looking into my own idols. Mostly people like it better when you talk about things like how they can overcome, three steps to overcoming. The weird thing about this is that if we'll get this right, if we'll say, God, I want to put you first. If we'll we'll say to God, God, I'm going to trust you enough to put you first, it actually does become the one step to overcoming. Because things that once had a grip on our lives actually don't grip us as tightly anymore. We want to talk in our lives about like overcoming some of the hard things that have happened to us. And that like in, in Christians, if you've been around Christian circles a lot, we talk about like demonic strongholds and things like this. Some of the demons that you are fighting are there predominantly because you've allowed an idol to replace who God needs to be in your life. So it's not a demonic stronghold you're facing at all. It's actually you just allowed the enemy to come in. You said, come on in and have a party because I, I, I don't really trust God with this. So what do we do with this? I think there's a couple things. First thing is this, we just have to, first of all, I, I think we actually have to look to our own lives and say, where are the points of pain in my life? Where are the places that I've been hurt, that I have been mistreated? Those are often going to be the cracks in our lives. And we have to say, God, are there areas in my life? Are there, are there areas in my life that I put above you? Areas that I'm trying to fix? Where I, where I actually don't know if I believe that you can deal with it. And then we need to ask God to change our thinking. God, would you help me to change my thinking about this? Help me to trust you. And this is not something you can do with like, I wish I could say, everybody do four jumping jacks, turn around and touch your nose and it will all be over. No, this is actually something that requires the Holy Spirit to come and rearrange things for us. Listen, out this list, I've struggled through almost all of these. Oh, and our little guy was sick in the hospital. I was so scared. The doctors had come in and said to us, um, I, we don't know what to do with them, so we're just going to pack them in ice. And that seemed like a non-medical intervention to me. And I wasn't sure in those moments if I could say, Jesus, I trust you with my boy. This boy that we prayed through through five miscarriages. He was so small in that hospital bed. And this mom wanted to control the whole situation, and I could not. And I had to say in that moment, Jesus, I trust you with my boy. I trust you. Some of you need to do that with your kids today. You need to say, Jesus, I trust you with my boy. Jesus, I trust you with my girl. Some of you, uh, you've got all kinds of pain around being alone. And you want to control that. 
And today you need to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with my life. Some of you have real pain around security and feeling safe financially. You're not greedy in the, like, you're not like a villain in a comic book that's like, give me all the money. No, you're just saying, like, I, I want to live with some margin. But today I, I want to call you to say, Jesus, I trust you with my resources. I trust you with that. Can we stand all across this place? I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. Some of the things we're dealing with are hard. This is not an easy fix. Like, let's, let's talk about idolatry and I'll say a pretty prayer and it will all... But I believe God wants to do deep work in our hearts with the idols that we struggle with. And often we cannot do this alone. So the worship team is going to sing. And, and if, you, if you're struggling with something, just maybe you just even got a, a bad diagnosis this week. We want to pray with you and believe that God will heal you. Part of that is just saying, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with it. Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus before. You know what? Lamentations calls us over and over again to say yes to this God who loves us with an undying love and loves us in our lament, loves us in our sorrow. Keep saying, your, your lament is not going to last forever. I will rescue you. This is the call of our God. I would invite you. I want to invite you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, to say yes to him today. It's the best decision you're ever going to make in your life. If you've got things that you need to lay before God, I invite you to do that with someone today. Don't do it alone. We do this together. We go together because we're better together. So Jesus, I pray for my friends today. Jesus, thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Jesus, I pray that you would show us now where we have put you second or third or fourth. God, we confess that to you. We are a people who are so prone to idolatry. We confess that. And God, we ask that you would be the number one thing in our lives. We trust you with every part of our life, lives, even the parts that are difficult. We trust you and we love you. So we sing this song. Would you just come for prayer? Let's just believe that God is going to do supernatural uh, rearranging of our hearts today. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.